Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 16. This podcast is brought to you by local sponsors and listeners like yourself. If you're interested in sponsorship, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Hi, I'm Lucy Zhao. I'm a professor in mechanical engineering. Hi, I'm Pony Anual, a professor in mechanical engineering. Today, at many schools, undergraduate students have opportunities to do research or creative work, resulting in original scholarly papers or other products that can be formally presented on or off campus. Summers are known to be good times for extracurricular activities, including conducting undergraduate research. But is it the only time? What's the benefit of doing undergraduate research, and how can we find these opportunities? Today, we are honored to have Professor Cindy First, who is a professor in the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department at the University of Utah and is a leader in the flipped classroom teaching method. She has received numerous teaching and research awards, including the 2009 IEEE Harriet Riggs Medal for Excellence in Teaching. She is a fellow of the IEEE and the National Academy of Inventors. She was the Associate Vice President for Research at the University of Utah from 2009 to 2019. She has mentored and been mentoring many people from undergraduates to faculty members, including myself. So I believe she is well suited to answer all our questions regarding undergraduate research in STEM. Welcome, Cindy. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Panya. Thank you. So let's start with my first question. Can you tell us what's a typical percentage of undergraduates in STEM who participate in research? Well, that's a really interesting question that we all wish we knew the answer to. It's actually really hard to add it up because we have university programs, national programs, individual faculty programs, department programs, and many students just volunteer or get credit for undergraduate research. So it's very hard for us to actually count. If I were to take a good guess in my own department, I would say it's between 20 and 30% right now. Wow, okay. But you've been involved mentoring many undergraduate students over the past years. Have you seen any increase over the years? Oh yes, absolutely. So I actually did undergraduate research as an undergraduate myself, and it was very unusual then there were hardly any formal programs, and I wasn't involved in a formal program then either. I just volunteered in a faculty's lab because I really was fascinated and wanted to get involved. At the time, there were very few undergraduates that did this. Now, it's really pretty common. And if a student would like to get involved in research, oh, and I would encourage everyone to try this. And if a student would like to get involved, there are a number of programs that really enable this and encourage it and make it work really well. So I have definitely seen major increases, certainly from the time I was an undergraduate to now. And then even since I've been a faculty member, it used to be that we had to work really hard to find funding for undergraduates. And gradually the university and national programs have grown so much that it's really very realistic to find funding 
for undergraduates to join us in our research. So there's no question there has been a major increase, and I think it's still growing. I would not be surprised to see more than half, maybe three quarters of students soon doing undergraduate research, at least getting a sample, getting a chance to try it. Wonderful. And that's a really good news that you've been observing this increase in the number of participants. So what's the benefit of doing undergraduate research to both undergraduate students and faculty and also in university? Uh, Well, I'm sure that's one of the reasons that things have grown so much, because this is a really positive experience generally all around. So certainly from the point of view of an undergraduate, you know you go to a university and you're going to get a degree, of course, but you also know that your professors are doing exciting research and really changing the field, changing science. And that's exciting. And you might like to be involved in that. You'll see a little of that in your classroom because they will share that. They just can't help it. They're usually pretty excited about it. But to actually get directly involved in that and to be able to help in that process is extremely positive. Another of the things that I think is really important to undergraduates, in fact, to all students, is we somehow have a hard time with failure and with not being able to get everything right the first time and with maybe not even knowing if the answer's right the first time. But that, frankly, is what research is about. Research is the reality of the world where you try something and you probably won't be totally successful at first, but you keep working through it and working through it and working through it until you make something amazing happen. So when you work in a team of researchers and faculty are certainly professionals at this and they mentor you through this process, I think that your whole attitude towards your career and your classes and life changes because you recognize failure doesn't mean you are a failure. It just means that what you tried wasn't working. And so that's okay. You found at least one thing that wasn't working today. In fact, if you're really lucky, you might find two or three things that aren't working today. And you could try again tomorrow. So working through that process is actually what I think is perhaps the biggest growth opportunity for undergraduates. So I really hope people will try this, whether or not they ever intend to go into academics as a job. It's really an important shift in your education and your thinking, all STEM. It's how you're able to think. It's your thought process. And research helps you change and mature that thought process. So that's what I think is the biggest opportunity for undergraduates. Now there are more too. So as you're going to move into your degree and your career, networking is very, very helpful. And what does networking mean? Networking means finding people both that are like you, like electrical engineers, and those that might be working in different areas like mechanical engineering or chemical engineering or material science, because we all work together. So I actually started in mechanical engineering, like you, Panya. And as I had a chance to explore that further, I actually found it, I, I was more fascinated by electrical engineering. It's not that I didn't like the mechanical, it's just I really found my passion. And I found that in part through my undergraduate research. In fact, my undergraduate research experience happened when I had had a personal health crisis and I ended up in the hospital and had to leave my semester. So I didn't have the prerequisites for the follow-on classes the next semester. So instead of being able to take those classes, I had some spare time on my hands and I started doing research in electromagnetics, which I hadn't even taken the basic class for. And that is in fact what I do for my life now. So research can help you 
find your place in the professional world, find your own place in your own scientific mind, and also sometimes really find your passions. So that's another really important thing about undergraduate research. Thank you. I loved how you phrased it saying that research is the reality of the world. And thank you so much for sharing. You mentioned that uh, you mentored roughly about 170 undergraduate students. So can you tell us a little bit about how our students been chosen to participate in undergraduate research programs? Well, it all depends on the program. Some programs are really highly competitive, national scholarships, national fellowships, and things like that. Those are awesome. That's great. Go for it. See if you can get into those. Others, even at the university level, will be competitive as well. So they'll have a large pool of applicants. They'll have usually funding for only a few. And yes, you might or you might not make it into those programs. Try anyway. Give it a shot. And then there are programs like at our university, we have an undergraduate research fellowship that students write a short proposal, two or three pages for. Students can pretty much expect to get one of these research fellowships if they apply a couple of times. They might not get it the first, but they're pretty likely to the second. So the message here would be if you are applying for programs with money, money is always limited. And that's the thing that's going to limit the numbers. Keep trying. Apply again, apply to other programs, apply to all the programs you see, and you will end up in one of these programs, likely with some funding. But then there are others that are not limited. For example, my first research experience was totally volunteer. So if a student comes to me and says, hey, I would really just like to try something. I've got five hours a week or I've got 10 hours a week. Could I work in your lab? I will find an interesting thing for them to do. And that's kind of not limited. So how are they selected? They select me as opposed to me selecting them. You know, they're like, oh, the stuff you're doing is pretty interesting. Could I talk to you about it? So if you are an undergraduate looking at this, don't be shy. If you are a professor who might like to work with undergraduates, just make it known. Send out an email to the department. Say, hey, I'd love to have undergraduates in my lab. I don't have funding, but if you'd like to try something, come on over. So our department and many, many others now have opportunities to give credit for undergraduate research. So like you take a class. So yes, you're paying tuition, same as you would for any other class. And yes, you're doing work, same as you would do for any other class. But you're doing research work instead of like assignments and homework. So that's another way. And that's also not particularly limited. So if a student comes to me and says, I'd like to get some credit for this class, do you have something I could do? The answer is always yes. So that's how students are chosen. And if you are applying for a program or you are reaching out to a faculty potential mentor, the real thing that's going to be the biggest sales point isn't what you know. Because honestly, most research things we need to teach you. Even our graduate students don't usually come in knowing the things that they need to be able to do. There's a lot of teaching here and that's okay. It's not what you know, it's what you want to know. It's what you want to experience, it's your energy, and it's your ability to allocate a bit of your time to try something in research. Thank you, Cindy. I love all of those things. I think they really brings up this whole spirit of doing this undergraduate research. It's about commitment. It's about the eagerness to learn. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about all of these potential opportunities for an undergraduate to participate and the resources of them. So once they get into it, mm. how do they 
bring their results or bring their findings out there. So what kind of avenues are there for these undergraduate to showcase their research? Oh, that is a super good question. Once you have done research, the typical findings that you will have will be some things that didn't work. So here are three things that we tried. Don't try these again. They didn't work. And then there will be some that did work. There always are. Here are some things that we have found that are important observations, or here's a design that worked well, or here's a design that even started to work well. So once you've got some information like that, there are a number of ways that undergraduates can, and frankly should share that. So I'm gonna kind of start at the bottom and then move up. So at all universities, there are usually internal ways that students can present their findings. There are seminars, and we sometimes have our undergraduates present at the undergraduate seminar. There also is a university level seminar that we have, and there's an undergraduate research symposium. Many universities are establishing these local opportunities for students to present. In addition, there are almost always local conferences in your area. So that might be, you know, within hours or two drive. So kind of looking for those local opportunities is one place you can be pretty sure that undergraduates are going to have an opportunity to present. So they should talk to their faculty mentor who will usually know about these, or at least will know who to ask. And then as you move up, there are going to be larger places that if you're involved in research for more than a little bit, such as I've had undergraduates who have stayed with me from the time they were freshmen all the way until they were seniors. By the time they're seniors, they're doing the work of a senior master's student, beginning PhD student and they are ready to present at the regional conferences, the national conferences, and the international conferences. So it is very realistic that if an undergraduate stays with you kind of doing the research to that level of maturity, that is very appropriate for them to present at the full-scale conferences that the professionals are attending. I uh, totally agree. My own experience, most recent one, I recruited a student doing undergraduate research, and we ended up publishing research paper in a very high-impact journal. And as a result, he said, you know what, maybe I like this. So yes. he then decided to go into graduate school, which he didn't think about before. So now that he is, so I think uh, this process also gave them a chance to kind of test the waters to see whether yes. they really like it or not. Another thing I wanted to also add on to the, some of the presentation avenues, I know that in my institute, at some point we started this program or a day called Undergraduate Research Day, where all the students from the entire campus will get together. There's some presentation competition. There's like oral presentation. There's also poster presentation competition. It's all very friendly, but it really yes. gave them an idea what presenting their results would look like. It gave them a sense of accomplishment at the end of a year. So we do that every year on campus. So I thought that's also at a local level, we can also use that opportunity to kind of promote these types of activities. Yes, that's what our undergraduate research symposium is too. And it's so much fun. And I love attending because when you go, yes, you're going to go to support your own students. Of course, you know their research. But when you start tooling around, you see all the different research on campus. And as a faculty member, I've often found collaborators 
by attending this, this is one of the very few places on campus that research is presented campus-wide. And then there is a nationwide thing that students who have participated in these local events can actually move on to a full-scale national undergraduate research symposium. And then Lucy, you also mentioned publications like doing papers and such. So in academics, this academic life, I know you've talked about it multiple times. The coin of the realm is doing publications. That's what people expect from your research. And what that means is sharing your creative and new ideas so that other people can see that and build upon it. If we didn't share it in this way, no one would know we had done it and we would always constantly be reinventing the wheel. So being able to put your information out in journals is very, very important. So if an undergraduate is participating deeply in a team and they are actually contributing to collecting the data or coming up with the ideas, and if they also will help with the, a little bit of the writing on the paper or editing, they can be an author on the paper. It's really a great opportunity, again, to test the waters. It's not like they have to write an eight-page IEEE paper all by themselves. They don't. They just contribute to it, and then they will be a co-author. But again, if students have stayed with me several years, they have ended up being first author on a number of papers as well. Right. And I think nowadays, students, as they apply for a graduate program, it's getting more and more competitive. And having these publications, or at least ready-to-go publications, mm -hmm. really help them in building up their CV or resume in their applications. There is no question that undergraduate research is an absolute resume builder. And it's a resume builder for a good reason. It's not just that you've written a paper, check, we add it to the resume. It's that when you have done this level of work to get something out into a conference or a journal or both, or maybe multiple conferences, it means that what you're doing is real. It means that you have been a real contributor in that team, and you can be. That's what it says on your resume. And then there's another really important aspect of that resume. By doing research with a faculty member in their lab, you have established a personal relationship with them. They know you, they know what you can do, they know what you like to do, they know what you're good at, and you are good at a number of things. And then when it comes time to applying for graduate school, you not only need a resume, but you also need letters of recommendation. And having a faculty member who can give real concrete examples of positive things that you have done makes your letters of recommendation stand out so much above everyone else's that it really does matter. So when I see a resume, and these do come for graduate students, and they show that they've done undergraduate research, I almost always will call their faculty mentor. It's obvious they're the faculty member that's attached to the publication. I'll call them and say, hey, I see that you've been working with this person. How did it go? And they almost always will tell me all fantastic things. I'm like, okay, good. Phew. I feel very comfortable inviting this person to my lab. So it's not, it's a resume, yes. But it's not just a resume. It's also a personal experience with a senior professional in the field. Thanks for that response. So my question is related to peer mentoring. Do you believe that near-peer mentoring is important for undergraduates during their research experience? For example, undergraduates being mentored by a graduate student or a graduate student being mentored by a postdoc. Is your philosophy that that is a good best practice? Oh my goodness. It's an excellent practice, but there are many different ways of doing successful mentoring. 
So if an undergraduate is working with just one faculty member, I think they're still fine. But this near-peer mentoring is fantastic in both directions. So I love that, in fact, in my lab, the most successful thing I have found is to have a group of graduate students who are working together, two to five or more. And each of those graduate students kinds of owns one thing, like one piece of software. This is my specialist on that. One piece of hardware. This is the specialist on that. So each of those students kind of has their own specialty. They're likely to be good at the others as well. But if somebody needs to be trained on that piece of equipment, I want to just send them to that person. And then the undergraduate will be paired with a graduate student. So my favorite one is when a graduate student is doing a series of measurements and needs to really collect a lot of data, an undergraduate helper can be fantastic. The undergraduate is learning a ton. The graduate student is learning a lot because they have to be so specific in their instructions and experimental design. And then the project moves forward so much faster and easier. It's a really good model. So pairing an undergraduate with a graduate student can be very successful. Thanks. So if I remember from my undergraduate experience, one of the things I recall is being the only minority, oh, no yeah. matter what research group I joined. And that could sometimes be in itself discouraging because as you mentioned before, do I fit in? Can I keep up, et cetera? So you kind of go through the self-doubt. And I believe it's not just a issue that minority students experience. I believe that all undergraduate students mm -hmm. experience that feeling of if I fit in, am I doing a good job? Not. But I do think it's a even larger barrier for minority students who are interested in research. So I wanted to ask you, outside of some of the things I've just mentioned, what other barriers do you believe that cause fewer undergraduates who are minority students to participate in research programs? That's a super actually interesting question. So I completely hear and have experienced some of what you have felt that if you are the only, the only minority, the only woman, the only anything, right? The only anything in a research group, in any group is unnerving. So there are two ways. One is the students who are minority students, women, whatever, it's very beneficial for them to express that to the faculty member that they're working with. And hopefully that faculty member will say, oh, I know, you know, Charlie so-and-so over here, let's invite him to come and do a talk at seminar. And if you just express, hey, this is something that I just sometimes feel uncomfortable about, with luck, your faculty mentor will be like, oh, oh, let me help and likely introduce you to someone who I mean, may or may not be exactly the same minority, but can say, oh, hey, let me introduce you around. That can be super helpful. The other thing is, as soon as your faculty mentor realizes that you might have some self-doubt, they're actually going to work on that. They're going to encourage you. They're going to tell you when you did things well. They're also going to tell you when you can do things that you can improve. And as you experience this, you'll actually manage your own self-doubt because you realize, okay, here's something I wasn't good at when I started. Oh, but now I am. So the faculty mentor kind of needs to know that this is something you sometimes feel uncomfortable about. So they can help you either directly by introducing you around and also directly by saying, hey, here are some things I want you to know that you're doing really well. And then there's another really important thing, and that's, yeah, as a mentor, when you have 
a one of anything in your group, it's going to be very, very important and very beneficial for the rest of your team to also realize, hey, we've got one woman, one black, one Asian, one whatever. What can we do to help them thoroughly feel a part of our team and thoroughly feel a part of our group? So the things that really build community are very important to start bringing all of our students into and to take special attention to those that may be feeling a little on the outside. So that's another, I think, important feature in the group. Many students have outside jobs and they would need to have funding in order to stop working wherever they're working in order to work in our research team. So funding is one of the things that probably disproportionately impacts minority students. And that's really important. That's why the funded programs are so important to bringing more minorities into research. So the proliferation of funded programs are really important. So that's one. I think another is just the sheer time. So I've had, for example, a lot of our students at the University of Utah, more than usual, have families. And you'll find this also amongst any older students who return to the university. And we do find that more of the students who come back to the university older are likely to be from minorities coming back for a second degree. And so they are likely to have less time. They've got families, they've got jobs, they've got responsibilities. So trying to work out ways that they can participate in the research team kind of on their own terms. So I'm fortunate in that in my group, we do a lot of both simulation and measurement and simulation can be done from afar. So frankly, over COVID, for example, we didn't have to shut down operations. We were able to participate and work together pretty much the same as before, at least on the simulation side of things. And that can be very beneficial for students that have time commitments, family commitments, and distance commitments. So I think that both financial barriers and time and distance barriers impact minority students more than they impact the average student. Thank you for that, those comments. So one of the things that often happens as I also mentored undergraduate students in my research lab is we tend to figure out the do's and don'ts. And I remember as an undergraduate student, I had to figure that out on my own. But now I'm starting to integrate that into my research group meetings. Here's what you need to do. This is what you don't need to do. So for example, I am a stickler for making sure that each undergraduate student has a research notebook that they bring to mm -hmm. the meetings and every time they come to speak to me to the point where if they come by just to ask a quick question, I would not answer the question <laughs> if they did not have their lab notebook with them, right? Because when you're younger, you think you could just remember everything and I'm uh. pretty sure they can. But when it comes to being a bench scientist, there are details that you may not commit to memory, but you know that it's a detail you should have written down, et cetera. So I want to know from you and your experience with working with undergraduate researchers, what are your top three do's and don'ts? Oh, I totally get that there are do's and don'ts and expectations in every lab. Oh, you're totally right. And I love the lab notebook. We use an electronic lab notebook. So I would say definitely you have to be able to preserve your ideas and your information, your data that you take. So one of my favorite don'ts is don't do an experiment and come and tell me what your conclusions are. 
<laughs> please, please do the experiment and collect the data and show me the data. And then tell me what you think your conclusions are. That is awesome. But your data will show me those conclusions. And I'm not going to be able to tell my colleagues in a paper, we did a measurement and we are sure that this happened. We will have to show them the data too. So preserving your data is so important. The other do and don't I think is really important has to do when you don't know what you are doing. So when you don't know what you're doing, many students are afraid to tell their professor or the graduate student because they're afraid they're going to look stupid. No, 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 no. Please don't worry about looking stupid. Please ask questions. So do ask a ton of questions. Don't hide your innocence. So please, please ask questions. Don't trust anything, including me. Don't think that your professor knows everything because we don't. So question, 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 and question some more. That's the do. And don't hide your innocence. Thank you, Cindy, for providing an in-depth insight into undergraduate research. Scientific studies suggest that enthusiasm is key to fuel interest in STEM research and higher degrees, as well as an early explosion to such experience. Hope our undergraduate listeners are going to look for these opportunities in the upcoming semesters. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Find us at thisacademiclife.org or follow us on Facebook. You can listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. Please rate us. We welcome any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.